and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. Hi. Hey, it's a lovely day. We had brunch just mm. now. It's a very like ladies who brunch kind of day. Yep. And uh, we actually have a special guest with a us. Special I don't know guest. if you noticed. Yeah, he's sitting I mean, to our to my left. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Andrew Gibson. He is a friend. He's a friend of ours. A friend. He's a friend. He works for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and today he's going to continue my um, my baseball series. Ooh, the old leather apple. So, Pardon. Andrew, have I have I been upgraded to friend? Yes. yes. Are you? I, I mean, did it. I got it's there. a mutual thing. Like, have we all agreed we're friends now? It's I, like in French when you're like, am I allowed to use the word to instead of vous? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, yes. that's the, uh, is there like a brunch you go to where, <laughs> okay, this is it. We're not but doing We, we make a list. Yes. We have copious notes deciding mm-hmm. who, yeah. it's who a, we're allowed to it's call It's a selective what. process. Yeah. I use an Excel spreadsheet. Of and course once, you do. Once you hit the threshold. Then, then, <laughs> then we're friends. friends. Yeah. Good. And that makes perfect sense because he he does all kinds of things with tracking and statistics. Sure. And, uh, the reason why I didn't use his title is because I don't remember your title. So, <laughs> Andrew, could you please tell us what your title is with the Pittsburgh Pirates? I'm a quantitative analyst okay. for the player development group for okay, the Pittsburgh what is, Pirates. What does that mean? Well, uh, we uh, basically keep track of all of the statistical performance that mm-hmm. the players are going through and then use that to help evaluate them and, and hopefully help get them better. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so all you listeners out there, please don't turn us off because we're talking about statistics today. <laughs> I promise you this will be very interesting. Statistics and baseball. I know it doesn't sound like it goes together, but it does. So I'm just going to let the microphone go to you if you want to start, because he's doing our... And I will sit here and look very confused. Yes. (laughs) But if you want to throw some yinzer references my way, I'm ready to bat those out of the park. She's all about it. I I can't really do that. Uh, So statistics in baseball is sometimes referred to as sabermetrics. Sabermetrics. Uh, Sabermetrics was coined... The term was coined by a man named Bill James. He coined it... Um, in honor of the Society for the Advancement of Baseball Research, mm-hmm. SABR, Sabre. Okay. So Sabermetrics is uh, in honor of that group. That It records a lot of history of the game, and it's not all stat stuff. A lot of it is like what the game looked like in the 1860s versus what Ooh, it looks yeah. like now. That's cool. Very different. They only used one baseball. So if you hit a foul ball, you had to go get it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, isn't it still just one you baseball? Just use the- <laughs> and, uh, and they didn't use gloves. So you could catch it on the fly or you could catch it on one bounce in the 1860s. And then oh. break both your hands. Yeah. Yes. It was a very- yeah. <laughs> People didn't have very long careers back no. then. <laughs> Uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about Bill James because he's Please. he's considered sort of the godfather of sabermetrics, and he is still alive. He, he is, is not alive. a dead man. He is not a dead man. Okay, great. Sorry, <laughs> that sounds very threatening. <laughs> Bill James is a dead, dead man. man. <laughs> um, so he's he started writing about baseball statistics in the 1970s. He worked as a night guard at a pork and beans cannery what? in Kansas. Ooh. 
And Delicious. Yes. Apparently, they did not have a lot of uh, like break-ins or uh, security needs. So he spent most <laughs> he of, his of time. He had a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> he spent a lot of time in the basement writing about baseball instead. Poor guy. Uh, and his his level of writing about baseball was really different from mm. all the sports writing that was happening at the time. He he had a tendency to just ask a general question and try to tackle it from a data point of view, even though we didn't really have databases or um, really sophisticated computer models or mm, anything like sure. that. So he did a lot of this stuff by hand. Oh and gosh. then he he would write really interesting um perspective type stuff okay uh like he was a english major so Hmm. a lot of what i think made him a really compelling writer is just the way that he would write oh cool um and he's been quoted as saying you should never use a number when you can avoid it which is very wise for a for a stats guy yeah (laughs) like let's not just do a data dump type Mm -hmm. stuff um he also said and I think this quote maybe sort of shows like his point of view on things. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of appreciated it. He said that he wanted to approach baseball, quote, with the same kind of intellectual rigor and discipline that is routinely applied by scientists, great and poor, to trying to unravel the mysteries of the universe, of society, of the human mind, and of the price of burlap in Des Moines. <laughs> wow, that is lofty. <laughs> right. I, I really enjoy that. He does have a way with words. You're right. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. So uh, newspaper editors, magazine editors back in the 70s, did they had no interest in what yeah. Bill James was writing. Right. Uh, so he went with the most American thing to do, and he self-published. Uh, and his yeah. first book was very creatively titled The 1977 Abstract. That, does that not doesn't really tell me anything. That, that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> he sold 75 copies. Damn. Um, and then good. every year he would put out a new abstract. Eventually they were called the Bill James Abstracts. Oh, okay. So now you really know what's going on. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he published those until 1988, at which point he just kind of said, hey, this is too much work for one guy to yeah. do. I, I can't really do this. Is anymore. he still working at the pork and beans factory? At that no, point? no. Uh, I, I think he stopped working there uh, around like 79 okay. or so. And okay, good. Became sort of a full-time baseball writer uh, at that point. That's good. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. That's my little Drake reference. Anyway, please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so after he finished the abstracts, he kept on writing. He kept on inventing new baseball statistics. And um, one of the the more interesting, more important, um, weirdly named baseball statistics he invented that still used pretty commonly uh, both um, at work for me and mm. in the public sphere is called Pythagorean win expectancy. Wow. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You got it. Right. That's you it. don't even need to explain the rest of this. I think we're done here. We're done. Thank you for listening. So <laughs> Pythagorean win expectancy uh, takes how many runs a team scored and how many runs they allowed and tries to predict how many wins they should have gotten in a mm. season just based on Runs. Wow. Okay. And the reason that Bill called it Pythagorean, even though it has nothing to do with triangles okay. and it doesn't have anything to do with Pythagoras, <laughs> Pythagoras uh-huh. is 
uh, it the formula kind of looks like the Pythagorean theorem. Nice. It just cut. That's it very. Kind of looks that's like very it. imprecise for a man who loves data and statistics. That it just sort of looks like it. So he was like, "Ah, eh, whatever." So, so we'll just call it that. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, it's his. That's it's his what thing. men have done for thousands of that's years. That's true. Uh, eventually, uh, a site called Baseball Prospectus took that and redubbed it uh, second order win differential. Mm. Okay, that's which not really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but that that's still commonly cited for teams that are sort of out outperforming out their their wins, mm-hmm. outperforming their Pythag record, oh, okay. sometimes called. And uh, fans of teams that are outperforming uh, tend to hate Bill James suddenly. Uh, oh wow! What suddenly think? he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the eighties. Bill James helped create a nonprofit organization called Project Scoresheet uh, because up until then, Major League Baseball hadn't released their play-by-play information that mm. was being recorded, and so there was really a, a lack of uh, public stats that you could go and look up. Like oh, nowadays, okay. you can just fire up the old Google machine yeah. and. You can look up anybody's stats. You can look up play-by-play information going back quite a ways. Sports Bureau. Right, exactly. Um, So Project Scoresheet started to collect through volunteers uh, just everything that was happening in baseball games, Hmm. and they started translating it into something you could enter into a computer. Oh, wow, okay. uh, Which that format is called RetroSheet format and is still used today. Cool. So Um, it's like SurveyMonkey. Kind of. the 70s. Ooh, that's good. that's a 80s. good analogy, I would imagine. Because it's <laughs> I, like I don't know why. people <laughs> people voluntarily are contributing information to this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they did it out of the goodness of their hearts mm-hmm. and because baseball is pretty fun to watch. Great. Julia does Some not agree might with say. that. <laughs> um so that that uh project score sheet, they created this language for play-by-play information, and they also really upgraded the traditional box score that had been used since the 1800s, and it was invented by a man named Henry Chadwick, Mm -hmm. who's in the Hall of Fame. He was a newspaperman who uh, really helped, like, popularize baseball when it was first coming up, and uh, he... um, Basically, like, investigated the origins of the sport coming from the game okay. of rounders sure. or cricket. And I did talk about that. Yes, See also yeah. our episode titled The Old Leather Apple. Part one. Right. Yeah. And uh, the Abner Doubleday myth yes. that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, still very hard to dispel that myth nowadays. Right? I feel like, you know what? It's it's a controversial thing, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I, I would... Good. Recommend that. Thank you. Yeah. See, I have Stick support. To your guns. I have this support is America in the MLB about that. <laughs> so, in your face, double dayers. So, double day naysayers. Yes. Ooh, that's good. I like that a lot. All right, we're calling him that from here on out. Sorry. Continue. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Project Score Sheet eventually kind of morphed into a, a actual company called Stats Incorporated, mm-hmm. which is run out of Chicago by a man named John Dewan, and. Uh, they kept doing their same thing. Eventually, they expanded to other sports, just collecting a lot of statistical information, mm. box score type information. And in 2000, 
Uh, Dewan sold Stats Inc. to Fox Sports. And mm-hmm. then two years later, he started a new company in Allentown, PA, called Baseball Info Solutions. Hmm. And then later, I worked at, at BIS okay. uh, in 2011 and 2012. Nice. Okay, oh, cool. so that's kind of yeah, how you so got so that's kind of how I got here. Oh, okay. Can um, I get rewind for a second? Yeah. When you say box score, can you explain to our readers what that our readers? Our, our readers. Listeners. I don't know. People I, print out the people who are here. Well, so <laughs> I download a transcript. I, I have a, a intern listen to your podcast <laughs> and then write it out long form. Okay. And then I read it. Oh, great. And then great. where Excellent. he's made spelling errors, I tell him to go back and try again. <laughs> Excellent. Good. That's good work. So for the readers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a box score is just like, uh, it, it's a small little snippet. You see them in newspapers mm-hmm. a lot, if people still read newspapers. Sure. Of just what happened at a really high level. So how many times did each batter come to the plate? How many hits did he get? How many walks, home mm-hmm. runs, RBIs? So that's every player? Every player that okay. appeared in the game. Okay. And it, it, it's really kind of a rudimentary just encapsulation of what the game looked like, how many runs were scored in which innings. Um, and it's really designed to just be like, Hey, I can look at this for 20 seconds and get a sense for what the game looked like. Oh, okay. So when you are watching a baseball game on TV and they show that little grid and it has runs, hits and errors, what's that called? Uh, I don't know. I I thought that was a box score. It's sort of like a box score. It's like a little mini box score. Mini box score. Micro. I don't, I don't think that's the technical Tiny boxes. (laughs) Okay. Sure, we'll call it that for purposes of this podcast. So, okay. thank you, though. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So, uh, at BIS, Baseball Info Solutions, uh, Bill James came along with John Dewan and continued writing both at his own personal website and uh, BIS publishes books. Every year they publish the Bill James Handbook. They've published some books called like the Fielding Bible or the Bill James Goldmine. So we've re- moved on from the abstract. Yes. Yes. No longer now, the Bill now James it's abstract. The handbook. That's the handbook. Right. Mm. It's uh, it's become very definite. Nice. Um, I actually in 2011 worked on the Bill James Handbook, and he came into town, and we had lunch at the Olive Garden. Oh my God. The Olive Garden, the most American of restaurants. Would you have? I don't remember. Oh, did you? I don't remember what he had. More oh, specific. That's more important. I feel. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he picked the Olive Garden. I mean, he's a simple guy. He worked at a pork and beans yeah. company, and, and yeah. he still lives in Kansas. So maybe oh. you know, it's hard to get Olive Garden Italian out food. There. I know. Oh, uh, poor Bill James. Wow. I mean, he, I guess I don't feel that good. bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I take that back. <laughs> In 2003, so sort of working backwards mm-hmm. a little bit, the Boston Red Sox Ooh. out of Boston, Massachusetts. I have heard of it. It's a small for-profit small company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They hired Bill James mm. as a senior advisor to baseball operations. Smart. So at the time, um, they had just fired their general manager who kind of runs baseball operations mm-hmm. for, for the team. His name is Dan Duquette. Uh, he is currently the GM for the Baltimore Orioles, which mm. is another for-profit sure. organization. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Heard it. Right. I'm getting it. Um, and they were trying to hire to replace Duquette, a man named Billy Bean, who we're going to get to in a minute. Oh, um, 
but in the meantime, they had hired Bill James to be sort of their, their stats guru. Mm-hmm. Uh, he still lives in Kansas. He still works for the Red Sox. Uh, they have won three World Series with Bill's help. I have heard this. So he's he's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. Yeah. Um, and every now and then he treats himself to some Olive Garden. <laughs> he's like, you know yeah. what? <laughs> Sunday. I'm going to get that, that tour of Italy. <laughs> Yeah. Unlimited breadsticks. Mm, I could go for one right now. <laughs> Just one breadstick. Anyway, one. I'm sorry. It's yeah. not unlimited then. <laughs> no, you're right. It's very limited. So while Bill was busy writing these abstracts and a variety of other uh, books and blog posts, he also uh, writes a lot about true crime, actually. So if that's something that interests you, Ooh, you might I'd... be able to find some interesting Bill James Writing. I am interested. In, is it a? In does he have a pen crime. name? No, it's I just think. he's it's working just under just Bill, Bill James. James. Yeah. If I opened the book, if I opened his true crime book, would it be just numbers? No. Oh yeah, because no, he's a right. English because, major. I'm right. sorry. He he wants to approach things in a, a accessible way. Okay. Is, All right. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, it's great. I want some true crime. Great. So. Other teams were very quietly starting to hire statistical analysts. Sure. Or consultants. It wasn't. It wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite of these statistical consultants is a man named Mike Gimbel. Mike Gimbel. Gimbel, okay. who the Montreal Expos had hired. So Dan Duquette, the GM of the Orioles and formerly of the Red Sox, he mm-hmm. was the GM of the Expos in the '90s, and he had purchased some of these books that this guy Mike Gimbel had written that he had titled Mike Gimbel's Player and Team Ratings. Ooh. Very fancy title. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he liked his work, and he hired him in 1991 as a team consultant. And when Duquette left Montreal in 1994 to go to Boston, he took Gimbel with him, and it was great. They helped each other out. Uh, Gimbel left the team in 1997 because the Boston media found out uh, that he worked for the team and started digging into his background. And he is a weird guy. Oh, ooh, tell us about how weird he is. <laughs> he lives in, or he at the time lived in Brooklyn okay. and had been evicted from his apartment because he kept as pets what? cockroaches. He <gasps> had a cockroach no. farm. Stop it. <laughs> what? And, what? And multiple crocodiles. <laughs> no. <laughs> how do you keep... Cockroaches as a pet, How, what's where's the line between vermin and pet? You know what I mean? Like they well, if you name them, uh, okay. Uh, this yeah. is Lenny. Okay. <laughs> he's <my> he's sassy. <laughs> he's a sassy cockroach. My my brother, my youngest dumbest brother, yes. always said that he wanted our parents to give him their house. Uh-huh. Um, so that, and he would cut out the whole first floor and fill the basement with water so he could have fill it with crocodiles. I, no first floor. You just walk just right walk. into the house, down into the motocross. I don't recommend that. <laughs> so he kept he ha- kept crocodiles and cockroaches and like iguanas and other things like that. But oh, what a weirdo! Right. Okay. So he got evicted. Like the fire department <laughs> sure. came in and kicked him out. Yeah. Right. Um, and this all sort of flew under under the radar. The Red Sox <laughs> didn't didn't seem to care that much. I guess maybe they didn't. Know. Yeah. He's know. not hurting. Well, yeah, I wouldn't care. He just loves animals. Yeah, he's just just an animal guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so he came down to spring training in 97 and started talking to the media about how important he was to the Red Sox. Oh, that's, that's, that's and, a good you know, it's the, it's the mid nineties. Mm. The media is like, Oh, a weird guy who thinks he can solve baseball with computers. Oh, okay. We got to take this guy down Uh-oh. and we got to take Duquette down. It was too. like deep throat. Yeah. Of baseball. <laughs> right. Um, so he started boasting to the media about how smart he was and how the Red Sox needed him. And he was gone pretty pretty soon after wow, that geez. so uh that's my favorite like weird like <laughs> uh personality driven uh, stats guy what a strange as my mother would say a strange ranger oh that's uh, she likes that's, alliteration like yeah. Say. yeah so shifting back towards the concept of money ball okay uh, yep. as as a sabermetric thing in uh the 60s the economics of the sport was a little different from how it is now Mm -hmm. where uh, there was something called the reserve clause. So any player had a contract and they would negotiate as much as they could with the team, but they could only negotiate with one team or they could not play. So they, the players made a lot less money relative to what the league was making back then. Mm -hmm. And there was very little they could do about it. Yeah. Uh, And in 1969, an outfielder, for the St. Louis Cardinals named Kurt Flood yeah. was traded to the Phillies. And the Phillies were terrible. Mm-hmm. So Kurt Flood didn't want to play for the Phillies. Mm-hmm. He also didn't think it was fair that he had no say in where he was allowed to play. Yeah. And because of the reserve clause, once his contract ended, the team that held the rights to him continued to hold the rights to him. And he could only negotiate with that team until they said, you know what, you're not good enough. We don't want you anymore. Now you're a free agent and can talk mm-hmm. to anybody. Uh, so he refused to report to the Phillies and ended up suing the commissioner's office, and it went to the Supreme Court in a case called Flood v. Kuhn. Okay. So the commissioner at the time was named Bowie Kuhn. And he lost and was actually blackballed out of the sport after that. Oh, my that. gosh. Uh, that was 1969, 1970. Mm-hmm. The head of the union, the players' union at the time, his name was Marvin Miller, and Marvin Miller, and it, this is like actual shameful uh, nonsense on the part of uh, the Hall of Fame shameful in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Miller's not in the Hall of Fame, and it's a travesty because he did way more for players' rights and mm-hmm. getting players a bigger slice of the pie that they actually deserve. Yeah, uh, Say what you want about player salaries, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Sure. Right. I think playing the Paying the actual talent, some of that is pretty important. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Marvin Miller, head of the union, not allowed in the Hall of Fame because, mm. you know, he took money away from ownership. Oh. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Right. But he, he continued to work after the Kurt Flood case. And in 1975, he had the reserve clause repealed out of baseball. Oh, nice. And right. players were allowed to become free agents once their contracts ended. Mm-hmm. And they started to actually make some money. Which was great. Yeah. I think that's a net positive. But that really helped teams like the New York Yankees. Yeah. Who started signing players Ooh. like Reggie Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really was not helpful for uh, teams in smaller markets. Yes, exactly. Like the Pittsburgh Pirates, hmm. if you will. I've heard of them. Right. Or the Tampa Bay Rays mm. or the Oakland Athletics. So the teams that didn't have that much money 
as the players started making more of the slice of the pie, those teams needed to figure out a different way to do business or they just couldn't compete. Mm -hmm. So in 1995, this was after the last uh, players strike in baseball. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. The general manager of Oakland, his name is Sandy Alderson. He started building up a sabermetric um, knowledge base for, for Oakland. I don't know that he hired a specific group or, mm. or anything like that, but he started uh, putting more emphasis on this to mm. help build the team. Um, just in order to figure out a way to afford to compete. Mm -hmm. And they continued to be relatively successful. And then Sandy Alderson left the team in 1997, and Billy Bean was promoted to general manager. Brad Pitt? And Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt right. and Moneyball. Yeah. Brad so Pitt became the, the general manager right. of the Oakland Athletics. No one knows that. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are two Billy Beans in baseball history. They're both relatively important. Um, the Brad Pitt... Billy Brad Bean. Pitt, Billy Bean. Brad Pitt, <laughs> yeah. Billy Bean. He was a former outfielder for the Mets, mm -hmm. uh, and he wasn't very good. He was uh, sort of a notorious uh, draft bust. Okay. Um, and he knew his time was up, and he became a scout and then an assistant GM for the A's. The other Billy Bean, who spells his last name with no E, uh, he was the first openly gay Major League Baseball player. Oh, wow. What? Really? Yeah. When was this? I don't know. Okay. I didn't write that down. <laughs> it's all right. You know what? I'll look it up. You keep talking. Okay. And and that Billy Bean still works for baseball as a diversity officer. Oh, that's and, awesome. And he comes around and he talks to the players about the importance for, you know, if you're different out there mm -hmm. in one way or another, yeah. like it's okay. There's a support system for yeah. you. There's no pressure to come out and no baseball players right. come out. It's very rare. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, that's I, almost unfortunately kind of universal in sports, mm -hmm. even right. still today. I mean, right. there was, I forgot his name, the guy. The basketball player. The basketball player. Jason. I'll look that up too. <laughs> well, and there was Michael Sam in the yes. NFL draft. Yes. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very rare. Mm -hmm. And Billy Bean with no E was, uh, I believe, one of only two big leaguers that we know were gay who okay. came out either while they were playing or after they were playing. Um, it looks like his MLB debut was in 1987 with the Detroit Tigers. And then he played until 1995 when he was with the San Diego Padres. So, well, there you go. There okay. I go. There yep. Go. And then I'm going to look up the, the guy in basketball. The basketball Keep going. So Billy Bean with an E, Brad Pitt, Billy mm -hmm. Bean. Yeah. Bean with an E, like B E A N E, not like, Ban. Yeah. <laughs> Not like no ease altogether. Yeah. So he he became the general manager of the athletics in 1997. He's still the general manager of the athletics. Oh. They've been very successful despite spending relatively very little money. Mm -hmm. And um, in 2002, the economics writer, Michael Lewis, mm -hmm. wanted to know, hey, what's the deal? What's going on hey, with yeah. this? Uh, and what's the hot? What's a dish? What's yeah. the hot tea? So, so uh, Michael Lewis was allowed to profile what the front office did for the A's yeah. for the 2002 season, where the Athletics had just lost 
uh, one of the better first basemen in the league to the Yankees through free agency. His name's Jason Giambi. Mm, I have heard of him. Damn Yankees. And um, they had lost one of their outfielders to the Red Sox. Dan Duquette signed Johnny Damon away from the A's. Uh, And they had lost their closer, Jason Isringhausen. Mm -hmm. Isringhausen. And they just sort of figured this out. They used all the tools available to them, and they were still really good. They won 20 games in a row that year. They went to the postseason, and they lost in the postseason again. Mm -hmm. So Billy Bean's teams have been very, very good in the regular season, more often than not, Mm -hmm. but they have not won in the postseason, which has led to a lot of criticism of the money ball, Mm. quote-unquote, movement, Mm -hmm. as if it worked, he would have won a couple World Series by now. Which right, is which is crazy. It stinks that there are the teams that have, you know, a billion dollars to spend on players, and so the players right. that need to make money are obviously going to go play for these clubs if they're good enough, and so then you just are stacked, yeah, exactly. on certain teams, and it kind of doesn't matter what your regular season is like by the time you get to the playoffs, yeah, because if you just have the best players, then yeah, if your roster is so deep with money players like the Yankees, then you're in a, for all intents and purposes in a much better position to win championships. Yeah. But it, there's no way to guarantee it. Sure. Absolutely. And it's always about spending money like more wisely, I Mm, suppose. mm -hmm. Uh, I mean the pirates payroll is, it was over a hundred million dollars last year. Oh wow. Like, Poor is a pretty relative thing. Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, there, there's plenty of money to figure this out yeah. and sign good players. Mm-hmm. Had plenty of fans going to the best ballpark in America, <laughs> drinking, right. drinking their Iron Cities. Yeah. There's the no bias. <laughs> there's no bias in this room for the for the Pirates right now. Um, but like the Dodgers were one of the most expensive teams. Yeah. They have a ton of money. The Los Angeles market helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have a huge statistical. Mm-hmm group in their front office and they lost the world series so that's true you know it's very hard to say ah well the outcomes were bad so you're bad that (laughs) that seems crazy to me yeah exactly but uh billy bean sort of famously said uh his shit doesn't work in the playoffs and just sort of washed his hands of it like there's only so much you can do yeah fair or not yeah there's still a good amount of it it seems that's just left to chance right yeah so after the book Moneyball came out, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of ruined the party for the A's a little bit <laughs> because now everybody knew what they were doing yeah. and every team has built up uh, at least a handful of stats people mm-hmm. in their front office and a bunch of other teams have been profiled. The Pirates got profiled in a book called Big Data Baseball. Mm-hmm. It was about the 2013 season, which was my first year there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, where we went from kind of an also-ran team to the playoffs, and we won the wild-card game that yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Recently, uh, the the Pirates were the team that lost 100 games in one season. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. During, during this decade, even. Yeah. I'm sure you know Well, that. then they hired me. Oh, and, and then they hired me. And then you. they went to the playoffs. Right. Yeah, so we're going to say we that it's a, Andrews. We have a real celebrity in our Yes, midst. we really do. That's right. Let's just ignore everything that's happened in the last two years. <laughs> now, can you tell us what you do as a, a quantitative analyst? Uh, so I build uh, models, mathematical models, to help predict performance. Okay. And also, through those predictions, to say, 
hey, where is this guy uh, struggling in a way that we can get in and, and maybe help him with? Because I work in player development. So I work with minor league players and coaches um, trying to get them as good as possible. So you so, can help shape the future. That's right. Wow. That's right. So one of the things we're trying to do at the Pirates is uh, take players who the industry thinks are good but not great and make them great because that is kind of like uh, a market inefficiency mm-hmm. maybe is sort of the money ball way of saying okay. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I work really close with some of the coaches. I have really good relationships with them. And we're basically throwing everything we can at, at getting these players to the big leagues. Nice. So you make statistical models for individual players. Correct. Because we did talk about this in the first Old Leather Apple, Mm. that baseball is unique in that you can focus on individual players in kind of a granular way, Mm -hmm. in maybe a way that you wouldn't be able to do in other sports that are more interactively team-based. So baseball is really nice for statistical stuff because Mm. it's a one-on-one matchup most Mm. of the time. So pitcher versus hitter now there's an umpire there's a catcher Mm -hmm. you have to take that into account if the batter puts the ball in play there's a defense with eight more guys out there right got to take them into account but as opposed to football where it's like i don't know 50 guys just slapping into each other (laughs) i I think that's what it was that's what they that's that's every (laughs) every halftime whenever they all get together on the tv and they talk about it they're like did you see those guys just slapping into one another slapping against each other Wow, today was a real slap-heavy day. Slap right, fest. Bob? Yeah. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I don't know why that's so gross all of a sudden. <laughs> anyway, yes, please. So uh, it helps break things down a lot easier. There's a lot less to control for as you're building those models. Sure. Okay. Cool. So that's what I got on Sabermetrics. Wow. That's, wow. That's my, my spiel. That's really great. Julia, do you have any questions for Andrew? Oh, my gosh. Andrew, one thing that I am woefully ignorant about is when people talk about different pitches in baseball. Like when they're like, that's a fastball, that's a curveball. I can't tell the difference if I'm looking at it on the television. Can you just just tell us what different pitches are or why people would use a certain one over? Sure. So uh, there's a couple different general classes of pitches. Okay. Uh, we have a tendency to talk about four different general types of pitches. Okay. And it's based on how the pitcher holds the, the ball in his hand. Okay. And he'll rotate it around so he can dig in on the seams with his fingers or just have the seams differently oriented. And it will affect the speed of the pitch and also the movement of the pitch. Okay. So the most basic type is a fastball. Mm-hmm. It is the pitch that goes the fastest. Ooh, okay. Thank Write you. Down. Right. The fastball goes the fastest. Yeah, okay. And uh, generally, there's a, there's a couple different types. There's the four seam fastball, which tends to be the fastest of the fast pitches, uh, and it tends to have the least amount of sink on it, meaning uh, the least amount of downward movement to just the pitch itself. Okay. Okay. Uh, they tend to be thrown with the highest spin rate of the pitch mm. this is one of the stats things that we look at now Ooh. uh and they tend to get um more like fly balls or or swinging misses than sinker fastballs okay which are thrown a little less hard but with more sink to them so that batters hit over top of them and it, it becomes a ground ball okay, okay. Idea. uh 
aside from fastballs, everything else is called an off-speed pitch. Okay. So there's a changeup, which is thrown just like a fastball. The idea is it looks like a fastball. The hitter thinks it's a fastball, but it's about 10 miles an hour slower than a fastball. And it, it sort of uh, drops away as it gets to the plate in a way a fastball doesn't, if that makes sense. Wow. Like when you're bowling and you can do like a bowling throw and it like spins. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so that's sort of a deception pitch. It's called a change up. It's, it's thrown. I don't really know a lot about like grips. I was mm-hmm. never a pitcher, but it's thrown by sort of putting your hand more around the ball than you would on a fastball so that you throw it with the exact same arm speed. But the the grip, you like, your hand sort of slows the pitch down weird. in a way that's okay. hard to pick up. So really good changeups are are embarrassing for hitters because they they swing at them and they they look bad. Okay. What if you just threw changeups all the time? Well, that would be bad because you're not changing up from anything. Oh, oh that's, that's what it is. It's yeah. not change up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a change up from the norm across oh. several pitches. Right. Is that what that? Right. Okay. So okay. that's, I didn't realize that. So sometimes you'll see a pitcher throw like two or three change-ups in a row. And we're like, whoa, that's, that's pretty risky. That's pretty ballsy. The, it is, you know, it's the, ballsy. The, <laughs> the batter will, uh, will time up and, and sort of get a better look at it. Okay. Yeah. So he'll get used to it. But, you know, there's some game theory mm-hmm. here. I don't know if you've done an episode on game theory. We have not. <laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> Yeah, you throw two changeups in a row, and the batter's like, "Well, there couldn't possibly a third changeup in a oh, row." Oh, okay. And then the pitcher's like, "Yeah, but what if there was?" I would just throw changeups the whole time. <laughs> so it's a psychological <laughs> warfare kind of thing. Uh, she's we not see, gonna throw we, another changeup. We, like, yes, we watch see me. Um, uh, guys who apply to work in our front office who used to be pitchers. Uh-huh. Sometimes they'll say like, "I had a very bad fastball, but my changeup was really good." <laughs> oh. Um, the other two types of pitches are sliders and curveballs. Okay. Sometimes they're just called breaking pitches because sometimes they're hard to tell the difference between them because okay. there's a lot of overlap here. So the announcer who, who can't always see it clearly yeah. will just say breaking ball Okay. Uh, okay. because they're, they're thrown slower but with a lot more movement is the idea. How, when you say slow, right? Like how slow is that? Uh, slider would be like... Upper seventies, low eighties. <laughs> yeah, like we're not talking like fifteen miles an hour. Well, yeah, like but uh, like a four seam fastball can be like ninety three miles an hour. Oh my God! Wow. And and as we go, pitchers are throwing harder and harder. Yeah. So back in the day, it was really rare to see somebody who could hit a hundred. And now there are some guys who just sit a hundred miles an hour, and That's all they crazy. do is throw a hundred miles an hour. Damn. That'll just wreck your rotator cuff. I don't care who yes, you it are. Will. Yeah. Yeah. Also, your uh, your UCL ligament in your elbow. Oh yeah, I very bet. frequent to to tear that sucker. Yuck. Ugh. Yeah, because yeah, it's just all all that energy is just like flipping through a joint. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, my mama. Yeah. One of the other things a lot of teams are doing is uh, sort of medical research. How can we protect those ligaments better? And, Throw and the keep ball the player, slower. Keep, well, without doing that. <laughs> yeah. How, how can we keep the players on the field as wow. much as possible? Mm-hmm. Which is very challenging. Because oh, okay. you, you can never measure like how close you are to breaking it necessarily. Yeah, yeah exactly. Until yeah. And, and it, wow. it literally snaps. Oh, so, God. you know, it's, it's supposedly very painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it's painful. I mean, I feel I, like right. I've seen 
I've seen like footage of a of a <laughs> pitcher throwing the ball in his arm like Ugh. breaks. Right. I um, mean, I, I've slept <clears throat> on my shoulder wrong, and I'm like, I'm out. It's, <laughs> I'm done. I'm not going to work. Steve, can you brush my hair? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So I, I have a question about pitches. Just last question. What is a knuckleball? Yep. Do you, I always imagined ever since I was a kid and mm-hmm. I have not wanted to be corrected and today's the day I'm going to be corrected. Oh. I imagine it's just like, like a monkey's paw. You just curl your fingers around and you're literally throwing it with your knuckles. Like, th- yeah. Like you're <laughs> flicking it toward. So, I mean, that's not wrong. Oh, that's really? Totally wrong. Oh my God. Okay. So the idea of the knuckleball is mm-hmm. it is thrown a lot less hard. Than, than most sure. of these pitches. Okay. And uh, actually, one of the more um, prevalent current knuckleball pitchers, his name is R.A. Dickey. He doesn't even have a UCL in his elbow. Wait, what? So he was a first-round draft pick. He, he pitched for Team USA in the Olympics. Oh, cool. And oh, he was cool. like a, a normal yeah. pitcher. And then uh, he got drafted, and his team did the, the medical examination mm-hmm. and said, you don't have a UCL. <gasps> He doesn't uh, like he wasn't born with one? I guess not. Whoa. And so they said, like, well, we don't think that you can actually <laughs> pitch like this for very long. Yeah. And he had to sort of reinvent himself. Wow. So he became a knuckleball pitcher. Okay. Because it's slower. Right. So yeah. they would There's just a like lot bring less him out. Stress on the elbow yeah. when yeah. you throw knuckleballs. But very few people can actually throw them. Okay. Because they're very hard to control. Mm. It's a it's a hard pitch to actually throw. It's yeah. a difficult grip. But the idea is you throw it and it has almost no spin on it. Wow. So it's kind of like you're push. pushing it through. Kind of. Kind okay. Of. Through the air. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, so it doesn't have any spin. It's kind of right. like static. So a, a four-seam fastball mm-hmm. will be thrown with, I think the average is about 2,200 rotations per minute. Wow. And a knuckleball will... You know, you can actually, if you watch in slow mo with some of these really good ones, yeah. you can count how many times it rotates on the way to wow. the plate. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, and and so the idea is it's rotating so slowly that the physical forces of gravity and um, wind mm-hmm. and air resistance push on the ball as it rotates, and it looks like it flutters around. So it's oh, hard for the batter to predict where it's actually going to end up. Wow. Okay. So I can see how if you can throw a really good knuckleball and you can do it with some frequency, that right. is a, that's a positive thing. Yeah. But it's, it's very hard to scout. It's very hard to predict. Oh, okay. And uh, guys like Tim Wakefield was a longtime yeah. knuckleball pitcher for the Red Sox. Yeah. And the Pirates. Um, he... You know, he was very good, but there were days when he was just awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like he, he would give up nine runs and in two innings and yeah. be out of the game. That's interesting. It's also oh, very hard to catch. Game. So okay. there were catchers who their whole career was he can catch Tim Wakefield or he can catch. Wow. That's, That's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, if you can't hit it, it's not any easier to catch. Right. You're still right. trying to receive that ball in some way. That's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, Bob Euchre who yeah. he appeared in like major league. Mm-hmm. He's a broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a catcher and he said the secret to catching the knuckleball was you go and pick it up when it hits. The <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's classic baseball humor. I have one last question. How far is it from the pitching mound to home plate? It is 60 feet, six inches. Cool. Awesome. Good. That's good trivia. That's something we Wild should that keep number that in mind. away. Great. Um, and it's 90 feet. Between bases. 
That oh, might great. come up too. Oh, okay, great. great. So 90 feet between bases and then from the pitcher's mound to home plate is 60 feet, six inches. Awesome. Great. So I heard a rumor that you mm. also have created a uh, quiz for us, yes, Andrew. Yes, I have a quiz. So we talked <laughs> about sabermetrics today. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my quiz is about swords. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Question number one. What is the term for the portion of the blade of a sword that extends into the handle? Question number two. You have certainly heard of Excalibur, King Arthur's sword, which was either given to him by the Lady of the Lake or pulled from a stone, and is almost certainly not real. But the sword Joyus is real. Whose sword was it? Question number three. Also not a real sword, Sting, which belonged to Bilbo Baggins and Frodo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. In The Hobbit, Bilbo finds Sting in a troll cave along with two other swords, which are taken by two of his traveling companions. Name those swords and their owners. Question number four. There is a long tradition of swordcraft in Japan. Who is widely considered the greatest Japanese swordsmith? Who has a reoccurring sword named after him in the Final Fantasy video game series? Question number five. Olympic fencing is made up of three fields, foil, epee, and saber. A fourth field appeared in the 1904 Olympics, but was dropped after that. What was that field called? Question number six. Which country is the defending champion of Olympic fencing, winning four gold medals in Rio? Question number seven. Was the last American to win a gold medal in individual fencing, male or female? Question number eight. What is the name of the steel used to create the swords that can kill white walkers in the Game of Thrones universe? Question number nine, true or false, a kama, K-A-M-A, is a type of Japanese sword. And question number 10, what is the name of the Japanese martial art that uses bamboo swords? We'll give you about a minute to think, and then Andrew will be back with our answers. Man, that was hard. I don't think I got it. Oh, 
Yeah. Now you know how I feel every day playing <laughs> Learned League. Oh. Oh. Well, you'll get there. Sometimes I get like three or four of them right. I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. You're yeah, I know. Crushing it. And one it day is. I got like five of them right, and mm-hmm. the other guy forfeited. <laughs> That's the worst, isn't it? Because it feels like a waste. Oh. Right. Yeah, it's awful. Anyway. Why do I even know who Connor McDavid is if the other guy's not going to play? <laughs> All right. Question number one. What is the term for the portion of the blade of a sword that extends into the handle? Okay. Okay. So I know I, I know this from Forged by Fire. Forged oh, in Fire? Oh, Forged in Fire, yes. And I have lost the word. I, I It's probably wrong, but I'm going to say hilt. Um, Do you have a guess? Get, tell me what the letter is. Tell me what letter it starts T. with. Tang. Tang is correct. <gasps> Good for you. One the, point the for The tang Gina. extends into the hilt. Yes. Right. The hilt is actually like the grip part. Right. Yeah. Question number two. Whose sword was Joyeuse? I'm going to say Charlemagne. Um, I'm going to say Lancelot. It was Charlemagne. Oh, nice. It's French. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. See. And it's, it's in the Louvre. Ooh. So you can still go see it. Nice. Okay. Let's go. it's totally real. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three. Which two swords and two traveling companions of Bilbo Baggins were found alongside Sting in the book The Hobbit? This is a Lauren question. Jeez. Oh, okay. Because I don't know anything about Bilbo Baggins. Well. If Stephen sh- were here, he would know. I know. He'd know. Um, I'm going to go with, um, <laughs> it's called Sting, so I'm going to go with Poker and Stabby. And I'm going to go with Marion Pippin on that one. But is the police one of them? <laughs> well, that's totally wrong. <laughs> that, damn, I thought at least Bilbo. It was... Oh, wait, not no. Frodo. Oh shoot! No, just tell me. I don't know anything. <laughs> well, clearly. so the first part was almost right, but still totally wrong because uh, the <laughs> what does that mean? The, the orcs called them Beater and Biter. Oh, okay, as yes. sort of shorthand, but their actual names were Orcrist. Okay, that was taken yes. by Thorin. Yes. And okay. Glamdring was taken Glamdring. by... Glamdring! Damn it! ...was taken by Gandalf. Oh, the great. Gla- you know what? That's on me. I should have known that it was Glamdring. That's mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. I'm, and for my penance, I'm going to read all the books again. Right now. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye! No. Okay, bye. <laughs> Continue. Question four. Who is widely considered the greatest Japanese swordsmith and has a bunch of swords named after him in Final Fantasy? I don't look at me. I have no idea. I Kurosawa, even though he's a director. Do we have a guess? It's no. uh, it's also specifically Sephiroth's sword in Final Fantasy VII. Oh, I know that helps. Yeah, I'm way out of my depth on this. No. It's yeah. I believe it's pronounced Mazamune, uh, or yeah. maybe Mazamune. Okay. Wow. I had no idea. The the best Japanese sword widely maker. considered the greatest Japanese swordsmith. Uh, the I believe the Americans were gifted a Maze Immune sword at the end of World War II. Oh, ooh, and it's right. in that it's in the Harry Truman Library. I Very, think. Yeah. Very ooh, cool. cool. Question number five: Olympic fencing is made of three fields. What was the fourth field that only appeared in the 1904 Olympics? Um, machete battling. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with um, uh, 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 scimitar. Ooh, I love machete battling. <laughs> That's why it was only around for one game. Yeah. They lost they too many like, players. Whoa. This was everybody's there. limbs were gone. <laughs> it was called single stick, and I believe it was um, sort of comparable to cudgeling, where you're just beating people over. 
No wonder it was only up for one year. You're like, there's no, there's no science or art to this. But but keep single stick in mind. It'll single show up a little sticker. bit later. Ooh. Oh. Mm, okay. Question number six. Which country is the defending champion of Olympic fencing? France. Uh, I'm going to go with England. No. Russia. Russia won four Russia. gold medals in, in Rio. Yeah, but wow. they probably cheated. They probably <laughs> cheated. I mean, I haven't seen Icarus yet, but let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Question number seven. Was the last American to win a gold medal in individual fencing, male or female? I'm going to say, say female. female. Yeah, definitely female. Woo! High five. Uh. I'm going to get. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Mariel Zagunis won a gold medal in saber in 2008. Nice. And uh, the men, the U.S. men, only have one gold medal. All is time. it in single stick? It's in single stick. <laughs> <laughs> so they are. So they have never been defeated in single stick. Correct. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could say it that way. That's more of like the positive. It has also been 114 years. <laughs> American men are really good at beating over the head. Cudgeling. Cudgeling. There's something dark in there that I will not yeah. get anywhere near. Anyway. Question number eight. What is the name of the steel used to destroy White Walkers in Game of Thrones? I'm not a Game of Thrones I, person. I'm not a Game of Thrones person either. Um, I mean, it's probably something fancy sounding. Your listeners are just losing their. I know minds. all our listeners are minds. screaming at us. I have a couple of big Games of Thrones hit. What is like? What is a fan of Game of Thrones called? Uh, a, a Song of Ice and Fireist. Probably. I don't know. I don't uh, know. A Danny Thronian. John shipper. A what? Danny John shipper. Danny John shipper. Yeah, everybody's shipping Danny and John. No, they're related, aren't they? Yeah, they're like uncle yeah. and aunt. But I thought aunt she was something. the dragon lady. That's, that's yeah, she's the dragon lady. But he was like, uh, yeah, I don't know why. We're going to call this. this segment. Listen to some people who don't watch Game of Thrones talk <laughs> about, Game, about of Game of Thrones. All I'm saying is, forbidden fruit is the sweetest fruit. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh God. Ew. Anyway, tell us what the metal is. <laughs> Valerian steel. Valerian steel. Valerian steel. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I was not to be dismissive, but seriously, who cares? Go ahead. <laughs> Question number nine. True or false? A comma is a type of Japanese sword. I bet it's a trick question. I'm going to say false. I'm I bet it's like a tr- wastebasket. I'm going to say true. One True. of us is right. It is false. It's a Damn. it's a Japanese like scythe or like a sickle. Ooh. So that's not a sword. Not a sword. No. It's still a weapon. It's definitely a weapon. Okay, but I think it's mostly used for like harvesting wheat. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, or yeah. the blood of your enemies. One of the two. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. We made a list earlier. <laughs> yeah. And question number ten: What is the name of the Japanese martial art that uses bamboo swords? That's called kendo, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, because right. my lame college boyfriend loved kendo. <laughs> We can edit it's that a, out. <laughs> <laughs> or no, don't. don't do it. It's very popular amongst Geeks. a specific type of college student. Yes. Is yes. it because you can't kill somebody with it? No, because it looks cool because it's it's kind of like baton for mm-hmm. men because you do a lot of like flipping oh. in front and, and you wear a sweet mask. Yeah. Oh. And he would just grab like the end of a mop when we were just hanging out and just be like, and it was so embarrassing. I wanted to sink through the floor and die, honestly. And I still was like, yes, you, we are going to be together. 
That's that so sounds like work. Star Wars. We all see how that worked out. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm so still in the win column. tell us more about Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the win column because we did not stay together, but still, it's not my finest moment in choosing men. <laughs> anyway, not, not about my relationship history, but that was a very good quiz. That was difficult. Uh, and Andrew, we ha- you yeah. really... Thank you so much. This was great. No, that was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah. Hey, anytime. If okay. you want to come so back what, and talk So what's more. the topic next week? Next mm. week, next week we're talking about um, a lady author. Okay, I'll be back. I love lady <laughs> authors. <laughs> Just lady Just. authors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, th- thank you so much to Andrew Gibson of yeah. the Pittsburgh Pirates for joining us. That was wonderful. And you know what? It was nice that we didn't have to, we just had to react. We didn't have to prepare anything. <laughs> and that's my favorite part. <laughs> Do you want to plug anything, Andrew? Um, go buy Pirates season tickets. Great, great. Season yeah. tickets, that, that's yeah. That's pretty much it. Great. Oh, by the way, the um, basketball player was uh, Jason Collins. Jason Collins. Yes. yes. He the was first the... openly gay NBA player. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I remember that. Um, the other thing is uh, we wanted to do a quick update on um, a listener submitted trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. We're going to do stingers for. <laughs> Oh, All yeah. of our bits. It's oh, soon. This entire podcast is just going to be us singing back and forth to each other, and we're going to force you guys to listen to it. So um, we talked about how the Vatican, their ATMs are in Latin. Yeah, but um, I, I think it was L Town Anne who actually sent us a picture of. <laughs> I love this, of the ATM. And unfortunately, even though, I mean, it's still in Latin, but it's also in Comic Sans. Oh, come on. I know. Like, I get it. The Vatican is not, it's ancient, right? <laughs> I mean, the Catholic faith has been around for thousands of years. Well, Pope Frank, he's he's whimsical. He what is. can we say? He, you know, he dresses simply. He drives a Prius. He washes people's feet. You know, and maybe he just really loves Comic Sans. But she showed us that, and I was like, no, il papa. No, no. (laughs) So that's a quick update on on some extra trivia. So something to keep in mind if you're at trivia and someone's like, what font? (laughs) (laughs) Now you know. Um, Awesome. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Just remember, you can get us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, uh, we have an RSS feed, and we also have a website. Uh huh. You're. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going to town. You can email us at missinfopod at gmail dot com. Our Twitter is at missinfopod. We also have a Facebook page, misinformation, a trivia podcast. Yes. And Andrew, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter. Uh, they can tweet at me. Come at me. I don't care. <laughs> my and my Twitter name is at Gibson Andrew. Uh, yeah, Gibson. I don't know who took Andrew Gibson, but I'm gonna get him. You're gonna find him. Yeah. You're gonna track him down and yeah. beat him with a bamboo sword. <laughs> Kando. <laughs> uh, we or also, Chris. Or Chris. <laughs> um, we also have a website, triple dub dot misinfopod dot com. So, um, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, you guys. Yeah, and thank you so much to everybody who's already done that. We really, all your comments and stars and everything mean a lot to us. Yes, we absolutely love it. We're still. I don't know if I'll ever not be over the moon excited about people interacting with us. Also, um, just to reiterate, if you have any trivia, like cool trivia stuff that you like to share with people, please 
tweet at us or email us. Let us know what your favorite trivia piece of trivia is, and we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Yeah. Cool. So thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Andrew Thank Gibson. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.